Hello and welcome to the 14th of November edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin and our readers today are Catherine and Phil and myself. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we'll include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on, the headline stories, some general news stories, sport, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Uh, The obituaries, as you're probably now used to, will... uh, be featuring at the end of the recording after the music so if you do want to hear the obituaries make sure you keep your machine on and they will come at the very end listeners are kindly reminded to return the memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources as from now you'll only receive two weeks of recordings if neither of these are returned you'll not receive further recordings If you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us. That's 01905 767 766 and leave a message. All our recordings are now available as podcasts via the Worcester Talking News website. And I'm sure you're all aware, but we do have a very extensive library. We can provide you with a list of the books in the library in large print as a hard copy or on tape. Just leave a message on that same telephone number or put a note in with your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. And whilst on that subject, I'd like to thank very much Mr and Mrs Bell for their recent donation. Thank you. If you do have any comments or problems, please do either leave a message on that telephone number 767-766 or just put a note in your wallet. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers which Phil is going to read for us. Yes, and here they are. Police non-emergency calls 101. Crime Stoppers 0800-555-111. Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905-765-765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, is 01905 611427. Malvern Theatres are 01684 892277. The Samaritans, which is now a free phone number, is 116123. And here, as ever, at Colin Chance House, we are 01905 767 766. Thank you, Phil. Moving on to a brief summary of some of the things that are coming up next week. And there's a bit of a Christmas theme here. Starting on Thursday, November the 21st, that sees the official launch of the Christmas season in Worcester, as the Christmas lights will be switched on by the mayor at a special festive launch, 6pm in Cathedral Square. And this will be followed by a community Christmas carol sing-along. 
The big Christmas light switch on signifies the official start of late night shopping in the city. Many shops will be open until 8pm every Thursday night till Christmas. The following night on Friday the 22nd of November, actually it's day and night, St Richard's Hospice is organising its annual Lights of Love services at the Cathedral. This is an opportunity for people to remember loved ones this Christmas and feel the support and comfort of being part of a wider community by dedicating a light to someone dear to you. There'll be two services, one at half past two and the other at half past six in the evening. Another Christmas notice, this is advance warning for Worcester's annual panto. The Worcester Repertory Company is staging Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at the Swan Theatre this Christmas from December the 2nd to January the 5th. For tickets and further details, telephone 01905 611 427. Moving on to theatre, you can enjoy an evening, well this is actually a concert rather than a theatre, but an evening with Chris Bannister at the Huntington Hall on Friday the 22nd as he performs the music of John Denver. Chris has been touring with his solo show since 2010 and is now internationally applauded for his delivery of some of the best songs ever written. Tickets are £18.50 and for more details it's 611427. Finally, on at uh, the uh, Malvern Theatres from Monday the 25th to Saturday the 30th of November, Robert Lindsay and Tara Fitzgerald star in the sellout London play by Terry Johnson called Prism. It's a play all about the cinematic master Jack Cardiff and his attempt to write his autobiography and went down a storm in the Hampstead Theatre in London. For more details, contact Malvern Theatre on 01684 892 So that concludes what's on and we'll move swiftly to the main headlines this week, which Catherine's going to read to us, followed by each of the main stories. Yes, well... Friday, November the 8th, the headline was Hero Saved Man from Fire Death. On Saturday, November the 9th, Grandad was everything to me. Monday, November the 10th, Meningitis Nearly Killed Student. Tuesday, November the 11th, Calls to Jail Offenders Who Attack Police. Wednesday, November the 12th, Mum Fighting Suicide Verdict. And Thursday, November the 13th, Beautician Fights Off Three Thieves. Hero Saved Man from Fire Death A selfless hero has been praised by police after he prevented a vulnerable man from setting himself on fire and potentially killing himself. Ian Collins watched the suicidal man douse himself in petrol while sitting on a bench in Cathedral Square, Worcester, but managed to kick away his lighter and bag and prevent potentially catastrophic injuries. The 26-year-old said he'd sat with the distressed man to keep him calm, with police on their way, but after officers arrived he was spooked and showered himself in petrol, having admitted he'd set himself alight before. Following the incident... He was sent a letter by South Worcestershire Superintendent Damien Pettit thanking him for his brave intervention. It's always pleasing for me to know that I can rely on members of the public for help in such situations and I'm very grateful for your support, said Superintendent Pettit. 
Mr Collins was parked just off the plaza outside Pizza Express on October the 24th when he noticed a man move over to one of the benches and begin to get undressed. He said the man took off his jumper and he assumed he was getting changed but admitted it was a bit weird when he also removed his trousers. Mr Collins had just finished work at Yamakazi Mazak and was waiting to collect his girlfriend, Kenny Mahania, from her job at Miller and Carter at 11.15pm. As I turned up, he just walked to the bench and sat down. He took his jumper off. I thought he was getting changed, said Mr Collins, who lives off Rainbow Hill. Then he took his trousers off. I kept my eye on him, thinking, what's going on? Another man went over to see if the man was okay before approaching Mr Collins' car window to check if he'd called 999, which he hadn't, then called the emergency services himself. Mr Collins and Miss Mahania approached the vulnerable man, who they estimated was in his mid-fifties, and found he had a petrol can full of fuel next to him and three packets of paracetamol. The man had been drinking and had past burns on his skin and one hand and fingers missing. Mr Collins said, on seeing the fuel and realising the man was suicidal, he told his partner to walk down to Tesco and wait for him there. He was obviously drunk, but he was very calm. I got him to tell me about his day. He said he'd lost his wife and lost the house and things like that. He'd done it, i.e. set himself alight, a couple of times before. He'd petrol-bombed himself before. I just wanted to make sure he didn't get too irate until the police came. Mr Collins said five minutes later, officers arrived and were coming from all angles. I kept talking to him to try to keep his attention off them and keep him looking at me. However, he said the man suddenly saw one officer getting closer and showered himself in the petrol. As he was doing that, I kicked the lighter away from him. Mr Collins described around 15 police officers at the scene, as well as a fire crew and ambulance and Cathedral Square security staff. He said the man was not fond of the police and wanted to resist when they approached. When they arrived, he gave one officer a bit of abuse. He stood up and was angry about it all, and they wrestled him to the ground. He put up a good fight. Looking back on the incident, Mr Collins said... I just felt bad for him. Obviously, he's in a dark place, and I wanted to see he was okay. Thankfully, I got the lighter away. The intention was there. He'd done it before. In his letter dated October the 30th, Superintendent Pettit said, This must have been extremely distressing for both you and your partner to witness. He went on to praise Mr Collins for continuing to engage the man, even though he rebuffed your efforts and for bravely kicking away the lighter and man's bag from the scene. Were it not for your brave intervention, the incident could have resulted in very serious consequences for both yourself and the male, he added. Thank you, Catherine. Now Saturday's story headed, Grandad was everything to me. A mental health nurse has been left devastated after losing a ring containing the ashes of her grandfather, who she described as everything to me. Bella Patterson, who works in Worcester, is now appealing for the public's help to find the ring. The 33-year-old had the ashes of her granddad, Glyn Reese, encased in a sparkling red stone so that he would be, in her own words, close to her forever, but was horrified to discover it was missing after a training day. 
She is appealing to find the ring and has promised a £100 reward. The Worcestershire Royal Hospital nurse said, I'm absolutely gutted I've lost the ring. I had it made last September. Sorry, last December. Me and my granddad were really close. He passed away suddenly three years ago. It was very unexpected. He had a cardiac arrest, but he died doing what he loved, which was gardening. <coughs> Miss Patterson was attending a training day at Purdiswell Young People's Leisure Centre on Monday, November the 4th, when she lost the ring. When she returned to her home in Bromsgrove, she realised it was missing. She added, This ring is so special to me, I can't put a price on it. Sentimentally, it's worth millions. I'm just hoping it will be found because it's irreplaceable. Speaking of her granddad, who was from Bilthwells in Wales and died aged 84, Bella said, Granddad was a big support throughout our whole life. As children, he would teach us all kinds of life skills, from cooking and growing vegetables to woodwork in his shed. He wanted us to explore and to be hands-on. I don't think there were many five-year-olds being allowed to be let loose with saws and nails. He would pick us up from school and cook his signature dish, egg and chips. If we ever forgot anything for school, he would be there straight away. If it was raining, he would be sat outside school waiting in the car. And this was throughout our whole school life, even when we were at high school. I don't think you fully appreciate what you had until it's gone. He had a great sense of humour and personality, had always had a new joke to tell you and was always playing pranks on us. It didn't stop as we got older. He would be round helping us decorate and gardening. He then passed on everything he taught us as children to his great-grandchildren. It was like witnessing our childhood all over again. He was young at heart and that's why it was such a shock when he passed away. A few months earlier he was cruising in the Caribbean and segwaying. Emotionally he was everything to us. We could tell him anything. He would stay calm and know exactly what to advise us to do. Everybody who knew him loved him. It would take him hours to walk and get a paper as he would be stopping and talking to people. He was a massive part of our life and everyone who knew him. Bella has reported the lost ring to the police. If you have any information, please contact her by emailing or small case bella.patterson15 at gmail.com. <coughs> Thank you, Phil. Headline for Monday, November the 11th. Meningitis nearly killed student. A student who almost died from meningitis woke up four days after collapsing to discover that he'd missed his 21st birthday. University of Worcester student Matthew Griffin was rushed to the Worcestershire Royal Hospital after his parents returned home from a meal to find him collapsed in the hallway. The 21-year-old is now campaigning for more awareness of bacterial meningitis and urging students to get vaccinated. Describing the start of his ordeal, Matthew said he woke up and felt too ill to go to uni, so stayed at home whilst my parents went to a family friend's birthday meal. I told them I'd be OK and sleep it off. As the morning went on, I had an intense headache and my neck began to stiffen. I'd never really experienced a migraine before and the pain was unbearable. I then laid in bed with the covers up and blankets over me to keep warm and I got lots of wet flannels and put them on my head to try and relieve the pain. I started to feel sick and so I rushed to the toilet. I sat on the ledge of the bath and threw up in the sink. I'd been sick before from drinking too much or eating too much food but I'd never been sick like this before. It was frightening. I was throwing up so hard my ribs were hurting and it was a dark green bile 
uh, and I knew I was dehydrating. My parents decided to come back early from the meal to check on me. It was then that my dad found me collapsed on the floor in our hallway, limp and unresponsive. My eyes were completely glazed over, bulging wide open. My dad, being a nurse, was quick thinking and called 999 immediately, and the paramedics arrived to take me to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Matthew was taken straight to the intensive care unit where it was confirmed he was suffering with bacterial meningitis, the deadliest form. He was put on life support and given antibiotics through a drip on Monday, October the 14th. Matthew recalls waking up in a dreamlike state. It was the most bizarre feeling. I was in a hospital bed with a couple of nurses looking at me. I thought I was having a very vivid dream or some sort of hallucination. The consultant came and told me what had happened. That's when the reality settled in. I was very poorly, and no matter how much I wanted to, I was not going anywhere. It was then I looked up at the clock to see the time and the date. October the 18th, three days after my 21st birthday. Matthew from Starport is trying to make other young people aware of the disease and the symptoms that can present as a typical hangover. He's also urging students to get the MEN ACWY vaccine that is available to all those starting university. So many young people are at risk of contracting this disease and are unaware of how serious it can be, he said. The effects can be devastating. I cannot thank the NHS staff enough for the care they gave me. They made sure I was safe and comfortable. I feel very lucky to be here in one piece. Although still recovering at home, Matthew is positive for the future. He plans to return to university after Christmas and is hoping to begin training for the London Marathon in 2021. Matthew added, The time that you spend at home getting stronger isn't wasted. It gives you time to reevaluate your life, what really matters and what you want to do. Meningitis is a terrible disease, but having had it, I don't think I would undo it if I could. It's made me prioritise family time more and worry less. For more information... Go to Meningitis Now, that's all lowercase and all one word, meningitisnow.org. <clears throat> and the story for Tuesday, November the 12th, is Calls to Jail Offenders Who Attack Police. Attacking an officer should always mean jail time. That's the view of some members of the public who've spoken out after yet another incident in which police officers were assaulted. Police were attacked during a brawl involving more than 100 people at the weekend and this comes as the number of assaults on officers is on the rise. Between April and June this year, there were 168 offences of violence reported against West Mercia police officers, 53 of which resulted in injury. West Mercia has experienced a 10% increase in incidents involving, involving duty officers, averaging two every day. National figures from the Police Federation show an officer is assaulted every four minutes. On Saturday, officers from West Mercia's local policing priority team, South, received a red call to provide backup in Hereford. A team spokesman said they were confronted with a disorder involving 100-plus people where officers were being assaulted. A number of arrests were made and vital body-worn footage captured. Now some members of the public are calling for automatic prison sentences for anyone who assaults a police officer or other emergency workers.
West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion has also lobbied for tougher deterrence sentences to reduce attacks. Last week, Chloe Milton, who assaulted police officers in Worcester, had her community order revoked rather than being given a pri- rather than being given a prison sentence, despite her not bothering to attend her probation appointment imposed as part of her punishment. Mr Campion said, Nobody should be assaulted for simply doing their job, least of all the staff and officers in our emergency services, whose sole focus is to keep us safe. The vast majority of our communities value and respect this work, but there remains a small minority who for some reason clearly do not. Mr Campion's Behind the Badge campaign aims to highlight the damage caused by violence against emergency workers, including the significant physical injuries, psychological trauma and impact on wider families and friends. Mr Campion added, I've invested in body-worn video equipment for every frontline police officer and special constable as a means of preventing attacks and capturing vital evidence when they do occur. Mr Campion added, sentences in court need to provide effective deterrence and consequences. Rehabilitation programmes need to be effective and better funded to deal with the underlying problem. Licensed premises selling alcohol need to be well managed and held to account by local councils. Police officer numbers are growing with investment locally and from government. I, like the vast majority of the community, want our police catching criminals and protecting the vulnerable, not having to deal with those that want to fight the police and should know better. To return to the other story which runs in this story, it's about Chloe Milton. Chloe Milton accepted she'd failed to comply with the requirements of her community order imposed to punish her for assaulting police officers when she appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Friday. We reported in April how the mother of four scratched her nails into an officer's forearms, kicked out and threatened to headbutt police. A second order was was then imposed in September, as the first had not proved workable. Milton admitted assaulting police officers at around 7pm on March 5th. She was given a 12-month community order to include 40 rehabilitation activity days and told to pay compensation of £50 each to the officers, a total of £100. Milton threatened to headbutt the officers before scraping her nails into the officers' forearms and kicking one of them in the shins. The 26-year-old of St George's Lane North, Worcester, accepted she'd failed without reasonable excuse to comply with the requirements of a community order imposed on September the 29th this year. Milton failed to turn up to her first appointment on October the 11th. Michael Weston, prosecuting on behalf of the probation service, said of the original offence, It was a case where her and her boyfriend were arguing. Police were called, she resisted and the officer received a scratched wrist. Mr Weston said Milton suffered from PTSD, bipolar disorder and anxiety. When she gets angry and frustrated, she blacks out and can't remember her actions. She can't even remember resisting the officers, let alone assaulting one, he said. It was a relatively minor offence, and it was some time ago. There was no significant injury. 
The chairman of the magistrate's bench, Keith Stokes-Smith, said he was surprised she was not punished for an assault on a police officer and instead given 40 rehabilitation activity requirement days as part of the original sentence. He said, from what we understand, you're not making enough effort or bothering to get that help. Milton broke down in tears and told magistrates, I've got a lot going on in my life. Milton explained she'd split up with her partner and had suffered domestic abuse. Magistrates revoked the community order and sentenced Milton to a 12-month conditional discharge instead. Yesterday's lead story, Mum Fighting Suicide Verdict. A grieving mum is hoping to overturn her son's inquest verdict, which ruled that he had taken his own life, as part of her fight to have Worcestershire Mental Health Services held to account. Gaynor Pritchard's son, William Zachariah Pritchard, known as Zach, died by suicide aged 29, but she believes negligence should also have been included in the coroner's verdict. The former University of Worcester student died the day after he was discharged from the care of South Worcestershire Psychiatric Home Treatment Team and Mrs Pritchard believes they didn't seem to grasp the seriousness of his condition. She said, if this case isn't made an example of, then other services across the country will end up brushing off patients who are in serious need of help. In my mind, there's doubts on whether it should be classed as strictly suicide, said the 58-year-old mum. It's more to do with that it's more to do with that there was not any support there. He didn't feel any hope left because they discharged him back to the GP. She said on the day he was released from the care of the home team, he had asked what other help was available to him and wrote in his notebook that evening, What now? Worcestershire Senior Corridor Simon Reid gave a verdict of suicide during an inquest hearing in Starport on September the 5th after Zach died on August 25th, 2018. Miss Pritchard said she is hopeful of launching a judicial review against the verdict, but said it will be costly. She also plans to take it up with a parliamentary ombudsman after the elections. Zach had moved to Slough to become a social worker's assistant in February 2018. On July the 28th, police took him to Reading Hospital under Section 136 of the Mental Health Act as a place of safety. He was then taken back to Worcester by his mum and dad, Andy Pritchard, 56, and was immediately referred to the home treatment team. Ms Pritchard, who now lives in Tewkesbury, said members of the team came out to see Zach every day for the first week and then every other day. However, his mum claims he had not been seen or assessed by anyone since July 15th and was not seen by a psychiatric nurse or doctor prior to being discharged. When somebody is so unwell and they start to get better, it's often because they have made a plan for suicide. And it's like everyone else on the planet is aware of that, but not the mental health services in Worcester, she said. They did not seem to grasp that. She said she was told because he was happy and future thinking, he was deemed fine. Zach had been a victim of mental health issues all his adult life, off and on, said his mum, and had been subject to interventions and hospital over the years. She said the first suicide attempt she was aware of was in December 2010, but that he had battled hard to find coping mechanisms. Mrs Pritchard said following her son's death, she has also sought counselling herself and has been off work since June, having been diagnosed with PTSD. Mrs Pritchard has therefore set up a charity in Zach's memory called Behind the Smile and runs a peer support group. 
She said other services, for example at St Richard's Hospice, are too time-limited and don't provide the sort of regular ongoing support she feels that people need. While His Honour Judge Mark Glucraft QC, the Chief Coroner, Conor, Coroner of England and Wales, has told her that while it is not in his remit to overturn an inquest verdict, he will be including her case in future training sessions. Zach was a Labour Party activist who spoke at TUC conferences and a member of the LGBTQ plus community, regularly attending Pride rallies. He graduated from the University of Worcester in 2017, but he was also a student union diversity officer. Matthew Hall, Worcester's Health and Care NHS Trust Chief Operating Officer, said, We offer our sincere condolences to Zach's family at what we recognise is an extremely difficult time. We also recognise the devastating impact suicide has on family and friends. Whilst we fully understand the family's concerns, we are assured that following the independent coroner's inquest and our own internal review, that our staff provided an appropriate level of care to Zach to support his complex mental illness. We are currently in communication with Zach's family to arrange a meeting to discuss concerns in more detail. If you are suffering with suicidal thoughts, you can contact Samaritans in confidence for free from any phone on 116123, even a mobile without credit. Or you can email joe, that's J-O, at samaritans.org or go to www.samaritans.org to find details of your local branch of Samaritans where you can talk to one of its volunteers. Headline for Thursday, November the 14th. Beautician fights off three thieves. A beautician managed to fight off three thieves who came into her salon and tried to steal her bag containing £400 while pretending to book an appointment. Sophia Doody of Makeup and Beauty Lounge, MBL, in the hot market, had to physically push one of the would-be thieves away and then kick them all out single-handedly. The 25-year-old said she and her business partner now plan to have CCTV installed and has warned other shop owners to be on the lookout. She said the three women backed her into a corner while she was on her break and one began rifling through her bag which contained her takings. I'm quite fiery. I wouldn't say I was scared, but it did freak me out, she said. There was three of them and I was on my own. At around 1pm, one of the thieves, who spoke some English, came into the salon to inquire about eyelash treatments and also claimed she was pregnant and needed to use the toilet. Miss Doody said she claimed she'd already been around all the businesses in the hot market, but the beautician told her she didn't have a toilet for customers. I could see she was with other people. She came in and was asking lots of questions, but looking round the room, she said. I was in the middle of doing a treatment. It's all open, so anyone can come in. But when she'd left, I said to my client, that was a bit weird. About an hour and a half after the incident, the initial incident, Miss Doody was laying on her couch with the curtain leading to the front of the salon shut. I heard someone come in and they were really quiet. I thought I'd go and see who they were. Then I saw these little fingers come through the curtain. Miss Doody said it was the first woman who had come back and she asked if she could help her, to which the woman responded again she wanted to book an appointment. With the first woman asking about booking a lashes appointment, the other two just came in out of nowhere and they cornered me, said Miss Doody. One was talking to me and trying to block my view. 
I looked to my right and they were going through my bag. She pushed one away and then told them all to leave, which she said they became apologetic and claimed they were just trying to spray some of her perfume to see what it smelled like. Miss Doody, who has owned the salon for a year and a half, said she used to work at Debenhams and High Street and was told by security staff they've had issues with the same three women. They are described as being in their mid to late 20s with dark hair and of Eastern European descent. Only one of them appears to speak English. Miss Doody said she doesn't believe they managed to seal anything and she has reported the incident to the police. West Mercia Police's Inspector Dave Troth said retail staff should be aware when a group of people enter their store together and spread out to different areas. This may be an attempt at distraction. A key factor to reduce shoplifting and other thefts from shops, such as of staff property, is vigilance and this can help reduce the opportunity for retailers to be targeted by thieves. Anything unusual should be noted and reported to the management and police so that opportunities to maximise evidence can be gained. We will always look to take positive action against offenders, whether this be through a community resolution or arrests and subsequent charges where appropriate. So that concludes the headline stories for this week. And we'll now move on to uh, some general news stories. And Catherine's going to kick us off, I think. Thank you, Pippa. Well, this is a story related to Remembrance Day, which, of course, took place in the week that we're covering tonight. Film star returns to wartime home. Actress Vanessa Redgrave was among those who united to honour Second World War evacuees. Hundreds of school pupils, along with members of the Town Council, Royal British Legion and celebrities, came together in Bromyard to pay their respects. Redgrave, who starred in films such as Atonement and Mission Impossible, went to the town with her family when war broke out in 1939. She said it was a gift to be able to attend the event, held two days prior to Remembrance Sunday. While in Bromyard, she stayed with her cousin Lucy Kempson, who in 1946 gave land to the town, which became the Kempson Players Recreational Ground. I was about three years old when my brother and I and our mother arrived at the Bromyard railway station one dark night on what I now know was the autumn or winter of 1939 or early 1940, said Redgrave. We'd changed trains at Worcester. We were met by William and Cousin Lucy's little car. I think it was a Morris or maybe a baby Austin. The main thing about being evacuees was that we didn't have our mother or father. Daddy was in the Royal Navy. Friday's event, called Operation Pied Piper 80, was also attended by Baron Alfred Dubbs. The Czechoslovakia-born politician was one of the children rescued from Nazi-occupied Prague on the Kinder Transport in 1939. Local school children taking part included those from Queen Elizabeth High School as well as primary school children from St Peter's, Brockhampton and Burley Gate. Pupils dressed up as evacuees, including carrying gas masks like those would have done through the war years. The billeting officer met the children at 8am at the Conquest Theatre before a procession to St Peter's Church for a concert, readings and poems. Secretary of the Bromyard Royal British Legion, Major Jan Brodie Murphy, who's retired now, said it was a great day 
and the march from the Conquest Theatre to St Peter's Church took the crowd, which included 215 children, past the house where Vanessa Redgrave lived during the war. It was amazing, and what was most amazing, you could hear like a flock of birds tweeting, and when you turned around, it was just hundreds of children who were full of joy, just chatting away, she said. When we marched, we passed the cottage, which is on Church Street, and Vanessa Redgrave lived there throughout the war. It was a memory trip for her, and the children just couldn't believe that that's where she came to in the war. Right, it's Christmas time, folks. Spoiler alert, Christmas switch on. An action-packed evening of music, basketball and festive panto will be held next week, that's next Thursday, to celebrate the switch on of the city's Christmas lights. Christmas festivities officially begin in Worcester next Thursday, November 21st, where the city's basketball team, the Worcester Wolves, the cast of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and a whole host of musical guests will descend on Cathedral Square for the big unveiling. The fun-packed family event, hosted by BBC Hereford and Worcester, will see Worcester's Pavarotti, Luke Swatman, Heine Hughes, Mike Skilbeck, and the Worcester Rock Choir, amongst others, performing in the square. The event kicks off at 4pm with members of the basketball team on hand to give basketball demos, sign autographs, have photos as well as talk about the game. There will also be have-a-go sessions for the youngsters. Thomas Bennett, Marketing and Communications Manager at Worcester Wolves said, We are proud to be part of this year's Christmas Lights Switch On and have the opportunity to showcase basketball in our great city. It promises to be another fantastic event and we look forward to seeing everyone there. The cast of Worcester Reps company Christmas Panto, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves will be high-hoeing their way into the proceedings from 5.15 onwards, encouraging families to sing along with songs from the show. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Alla Ditter, will be switching on the lights alongside the city's Carnival Queen, Antonia Alberoni-Chamberlain. Councillor Ditter said, Come and be part of the action as Worcester celebrates the final countdown to Christmas. There's always a fantastic atmosphere, and this promises to be a really fun-filled and uplifting occasion. White and gold-coloured lights are being specially hired by Worcester City Council to bring festive sparkle to the city centre, as the Christmas shopping season begins in earnest. Fairy lights are also being installed in trees along the high street to create an extra magical effect. The switch-on event also marks the late start of late-night Christmas shopping in Worcester, with many shops staying open until 8pm on Thursday evenings. The lights are designed to be very low energy and will be on 24 hours a day. Thank you, Bill. It's a rather better um, advertisement, I think, for the Christmas switch-on than I managed to do earlier. (laughs) Sounds like it could be great fun. Back to the rather less cheery news. Vandals strike at church. Devastated churchgoers are appealing for more information after rocks were thrown through the building's stained glass windows. The vandalism attack happened between 12pm on Remembrance Sunday and 9.30am yesterday, that's, sorry, Tuesday, November the 12th, at St Thomas Church, Lower Broadheath, near Worcester. Church warden Abigail Tilling was the first person to see the smashed windows on Tuesday morning. Mrs Tilling said yesterday... I was the first to see the windows this morning. It was totally devastating. I phoned our vicar in tears. I saw the first window and it looked like it had exploded. There was glass everywhere. I then walked up and realised the other windows had been smashed too. It was heartbreaking. 
Three rocks were found inside the building, which is located in Crown East Lane. One plane window and three stained glass windows were smashed during the vandalism attack. Mrs Tilling added, It's a job for a specialist, so we don't know yet how much it'll cost to fix. Nothing like this has happened before, as far as I'm aware of. Years and years ago, there was a break-in, but it's usually a safe area, and the neighbours didn't hear anything. If anybody saw anything, please come forward. It's a beautiful church, and it's heartbreaking that this has happened. Mrs Tilling has been involved with the church for 12 years and has been warden for 10 years. Police are appealing for witnesses or anyone with more information to get in touch by calling 101 and quoting reference number 0181S121119. The present church of St Thomas was originally built in the 1840s as a private chapel by the Bramwell family beside Crown East Court. It was moved and rebuilt on the main road to Bromyard, where it still stands, and was licensed for public worship on October the 26th, 1876, by the Bishop of Worcester. All right, the next story is about universities facing election hostility. Universities are facing a hostile environment in the run-up to the general election, according to the head of the University of Worcester. Professor David Green, the university's vice-chancellor and CEO, said hostility towards universities had been building in recent months and he believed it was set to get worse at a speech to guests at a celebration dinner. He highlighted a column in The Spectator by Rod Liddell entitled If you do one thing this election, stop your kids from voting. Professor Green read an extract from it that began... If you have a student's son or daughter thinking of voting, shove some high-grade skunk under their door the day before the poll. You can lace the skunk with horse tranquilizers if you like. Do anything, just stop them voting. In the column, Mr Liddell later said, my own choice of election date would be a day when universities are closed. Professor Green said that Mr Liddell had later said he was joking about students and his suggestion that the election day should be held on a day when Muslims could not vote. But, Mr. but Professor Green added, this is often the excuse used when something is prejudiced like this. He went on to say that he was very proud he'd encouraged Worcester students to sign up to vote. He told assembled guests that the university had been ranked joint top in a new league table focused on how universities are engaging students in democracy. He said, we were one of only three universities that achieved 100% across five categories. The results of the survey, carried out by Vote for Your Future and published in the Times Higher Education magazine, reveal Worcester as joint top with the universities of Hull and Sheffield. Professor Green told a packed room of graduates, business and community leaders and university staff that now is the time to do all we can as a society to engage in democratic, reasoned discussion. He later said, At Worcester, we passionately embrace our duty to, to promote British values, which are democracy, the rule of law, individual liberty and mutual respect for and tolerance of those with different faiths, beliefs and for those without faith. 
Our fundamental approach is to encourage all students to become well-informed about the issues, to engage in peaceful, respectful, democratic discussion of the issues, to register to vote, and then vote as they see fit. We are, of course, delighted that our efforts to engage students have been recognised in this table published today. More importantly, we hope that this will spur other universities, colleges and secondary schools going forward. The university said it worked with the Students' Union to actively promote voter registration across campus with posters, displays and email campaigns. It also held a special Democracy Day in September a day of talks and discussions <clears throat> aimed at encouraging students to engage with the issues of the day and to register to vote. The Higher Education and Research Act of 2017 placed a statutory requirement on universities to facilitate student voter registration. With youth voter registration the lowest of all age groups, the survey aimed to encourage universities not only to meet this obligation, but to go above and beyond to ensure that no student is disenfranchised due to lack of information and or accessibility. Thank you. This is Tuesday's newspaper now, and the headline is Gridlock as Bridge Shut. There was traffic gridlock for hours on Monday as Worcester Bridge was closed while a large island of debris was removed from the River Severn. The already high river levels are on the rise again, according to the area's Environment Agency manager, with heavy rain forecast over the next 48 hours. Herefordshire and Worcestershire manager Dave Throop said he and his colleagues are preparing for the worst as they work around the clock to check flood defences. The bridge was closed eastbound and was reduced to one lane westbound from 9.30 on Monday for more than five hours, with one motorist describing St John's as having been cut off. The worst of the congestion, apart from the bridge itself, appeared to be on the A449 Bromwich Road, all the way through to Powick and up the A4040 into Rushwick. There were also heavy tailbacks along Hilton Road and Tybridge Street. The last of the debris was removed via crane at around 2pm before workers undertook a final road sweep before the road fully reopened prior to the afternoon school run. Persistent rain last month had caused considerable flooding across the county, with the River Severn's levels rising to their highest in Worcester since 2014. The aftermath of this caused debris to build up against a bridge, which was originally due to be cleared last Monday, that is the 4th, though this was postponed due to the change in river level making the operation unsafe. Mr Throop added, It's a developing situation. There's an element of uncertainty in the forecast, in particular for Thursday, when we could say a lot of rain in this part of the world. He was right, wasn't he? But we might not see much at all. We are preparing for the worst, and if the worst does happen, then the rivers are going to respond very quickly, and we could see some high levels again, and it won't just be the little rivers. He added, the River Seven floodplain is already full before we get that additional rain. Thank you, Phil. Councillor to fund weekend buses. Woohoo, good news. A weekend bus service has been saved after a councillor promised to help subsidise the route. Councillor Andy Stafford, who represents Claines on Worcestershire County Council, said he stepped in to help reinstate the weekend 37 bus service, which runs between Northwick and Worcester, after it was scrapped by first bus last month, as it was no longer making money and was underused. The weekend service is set to start again on November the 23rd. 
Councillor Stafford has said he will use his county councillor divisional fund, which is handed out to councillors to help pay for local initiatives and support good works. He said, The 37 bus service is a lifeline for residents in Clanes, with many dependent upon it. It is essential that we have a comprehensive bus service so that vulnerable residents do not become socially isolated. If we are to tackle climate change, we must also give people viable alternatives to using their cars. I'm particularly pleased that the service will be up and running again in time for the Victorian Christmas Fair, as well as the busy shopping period in the lead-up to Christmas. Councillor Mel Alcott, who represents claims on Worcester City Council and had campaigned for the 37 bus service to be reinstated, said it was unacceptable and a disgrace for the bus service to be cut at weekends and put at risk on weekdays, especially as first bus revealed it was only losing £75 on a Saturday for running the service. Councillor Alcott handed a thousand-strong petition to bosses at County Hall on Thursday, November the 7th, and called on the County Council to use some of the half of a million pounds it had received from housing developer Bellway when it put forward plans to build 200 homes on the edge of Worcester in 2014. Councillor Stafford added, Thank you to everyone that showed their support for the service by signing our petition. I encourage everyone to continue to show their support for the service by using it, and I will be working on initiatives to increase usage. Didgeridoo lessons, singing, toothbrushes and calligraphy training can all benefit health, according to a new report. The World Health Organisation looked at how the arts can help prevent ill health and support the treatment of mental illness, non-communicable diseases and neurological disorders. The World Health Organisation Regional Office for Europe looked at more than 900 publications. One highlighted study showed didgeridoo lessons in Australia improved respiratory function in males. Singing toothbrushes designed to increase the quality of brushing have been shown to improve oral health in blind children in South India, the report said, and calligraphy training was shown to reduce stress symptoms in children who'd survived the 2008 China earthquakes. Waltzing was found to be as effective as exercise for patients with chronic heart failure. Okay. This next story is called Tributes to Becky. Tributes have been paid to a former Malvern St James pupil who was murdered in Lebanon after her killer was sentenced to death. Rebecca Dykes was killed while working for the Department of International Development. Earlier this month, her murderer, Tariq Hussie, was sentenced to death after the Uber driver confessed to strangling the 30-year-old and leaving her body by the roadside in December 2017. Miss Dykes was a student of Malvern St James until 2005 and a school spokesman said Rebecca's legacy has been recognised as remarkable and inspiring to our current pupils as someone who so often put the needs of others before her own and worked to create a better world. She was an exemplary pupil and will always be remembered fondly by staff and fellow students. Miss Dykes' work had seen her helping Lebanon to cope with the influx of refugees from the war in Syria. Malvern's Conservative candidate Harriet Baldwin said, I know from my time as a minister in the Department for International Development how dearly loved Rebecca Dykes was by her colleagues. I hope this sentence brings some closure for her family. We should spare a thought for all the brave men and women who work in the aid sector, helping some of the world's most vulnerable people. 
In cases of murder, Lebanese judges routinely call for death sentences. However, the country has an unofficial moratorium and has not actually carried out an execution since 2004. On Facebook, the British Embassy in Beirut said Becky Dykes was a talented, devoted humanitarian whose skill, expertise and passion improved the lives of many people. Since Miss Dykes' death, her family has set up a foundation to support and fund projects such as community cohesion in Lebanon. For details, see, all one word here, rebeccadykesfoundation.com. And this story, the headline is Chance to See Hope. Lego lovers will be able to see a life-size model of a suffragette built from over 35,000 pieces of Lego when it goes on display at the University of Worcester. Hope, as she was, is known, was built for UK Parliament in 2018 to mark 100 years since the first women won the right to vote in Britain. Since then, she's been on loan from the House of Commons on a tour of the country. She'll arrive at the university on Tuesday, November the 12th, in her first visit to the West Midlands. Professor Sarah Greer, Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Provost of the University of Worcester, said, We are so thrilled to be hosting Hope, the Lego suffragette. She is a reminder of how the bravery of the suffragettes created change that people didn't think at the time was possible. Change which continues to benefit and empower women a hundred years on. She is a real symbol of equality and democracy, both of which are core values at the University of Worcester. We hope that her presence on campus will encourage discussion around these themes between our students and staff and that it will ensure that the courage of the suffragettes is never forgotten. The University and Worcester Students' Union worked together to put in a bid to host the model, which will be situated in the main reception at the St John's campus. Members of the community, school children and students are all invited to take the time to visit the model, have photos with her and share messages about the importance of democracy. The model will be on display until December the 11th, the day before the general election. Thank you. Okay, so here's a story about the ukulele band. A giant cheque for £10,000 has been presented to Worcester and District Branch of Parkinson's UK by the City Mayor, Councillor Alla Ditter. The money was raised by Worcester Ukulele Club in less than two months and was presented to members of the Parkinson's Branch in Crowngate Shopping Centre while almost 40 members of the club took turns in a marathon four-hour gig. During the event, donations given by a generous public meant that the £10,000 barrier has already been broken, with three weeks still to run. Since the club voted to raise money for people with Parkinson's and their families in Worcester, Malvern, Pershaw, Evesham, Droitwich and Wire Forest last Christmas, Euchres have strummed and sung their way through more than 100 gigs at various venues. In presenting the giant cheque, the mayor, who was accompanied by his daughter, Parveen Akhtar, congratulated the ukulele club on what it was doing, saying it was fantastic and was helping people all over the county. A spokesman for Worcester and District Branch of Parkinson's UK said, The branch is indebted to the Worcester Ukulele Club for its efforts, as well as the public who have contributed in raising such a magnificent sum. Thanks, Catherine. And here's another story which uh, highlights some community generosity. 
The head teacher of a city primary school targeted by vandals has thanked the community for their support. Mike Painter, head teacher of Cherry Orchard Primary School, says the community rallying round their school shows the true Worcester, not the one of the vandals. Vandals had smashed windows, broken fence panels and thrown flower pots across the school's playground in a night of vandalism in the early hours of October the 30th. It happened during the half-term holiday, but the school posted on Twitter to let staff and pupils know what had happened, and that led to people offering to help clean up and raise cash for the school. The main damage was cleared up within 24 hours, and the window was repaired earlier this week. Local firm D&J Timber Buildings generously donated 10 flower boxes for free to replace the broken ones. Mr Painter said, We will never let vandals spoil the lovely school environment we have built here. We have had the full support from the community, with offers of help from people who were disappointed by how the school had been treated. We thank them for their support, and we hope that the police catch the vandals. Neighbours told us they were disgusted the school had been targeted, saying they thought it must be youths out to cause trouble. Worcester Newsreaders also made a number of comments on the story, including Margaret Morris, who said, Wanton destruction. Why? I can't begin to understand what joy there is to be had in destroying other people's property. Police are still investigating the criminal damage at the Timberdine Close-based school. Sarah Hughes, West Mercia Police's community support officer, confirmed no arrests had yet been made and said the problem they had was that the offenders left no forensic or other evidence and gained entry from fields at the back of the school. (coughs) The investigation is still continuing, but with no forensics or evidence, that makes it difficult, she said. We want people to keep calling us with any information they may have which could help our investigation. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101, quoting 135S, or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 Walking football scores 100. Launching walking football at a Worcester Leisure Centre has proved a tactical masterstroke worthy of Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola. Hope I've said those right. With the 100th session in two years having just taken place. Freedom Leisure, which operates the city's three leisure centres and provides the active communities service on behalf of Worcester City Council, has celebrated its 100th walking football session at Purdiswell Leisure Centre. Having started the walking football just over two years ago, the group has grown from week to week and now regularly welcomes up to 20 men and women at each session. Walking football is a slowed-down walking version of the beautiful game, which has become enormously popular across the UK, especially with older people. Purdiswell Leisure Centre hosted the landmark 100th session of walking football last week, celebrating the friendships that have been made with tea, coffee and cake afterwards. Walking football attendee Keith Lewis said, Walking football is a fantastic sport. I haven't played football since my early 20s, but after having a heart attack whilst playing squash, I had to find a sport that was enjoyable and safe for me to play. I attended the very first walking football session at Purdiswell Leisure Centre in 2017 and have loved it ever since. The group have become good friends and as a result I've only missed four of the 100 sessions so far. Walking football sessions take place on a Tuesday morning from 10 10 to 11am and are delivered by FA qualified coaches with the first session free to all new players. To try walking football, pop along to Purdiswell Leisure Centre on a Tuesday and try that first session for free. For more information, 
call 07885407474 or email tom.rimmer at freedom-leisure.co.uk. Right, the chief executive of the County's Hospital Trust has apologised for ongoing issues caused by parking problems at Worcestershire Royal and said he and his colleagues continually explore ways of increasing capacity. Matthew Hopkins of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said he and his team are committed to improving patients' experience when visiting any of the trust sites. He was speaking in light of city resident Pat Cook's experience dropping off a friend with a hip problem for an appointment on Tuesday in which she was forced to part 20 minutes of walk away. Unable to find a space at the hospital, Miss Cook was forced to leave her 78-year-old friend at the exit barrier and park at Tesco. On the return pickup, Miss Cook, herself 76, collected her friend before crawling along for one hour and 15 minutes from the main entrance to the roundabout on Newtown Road at around 4.30pm. She said, so frustrating, but I really felt sorry for those patients having been discharged, not feeling good and just wanting to get home. Ambulance drivers... People sat in a taxi not getting anywhere and buses not arriving on time for people to catch their connections home. Help is definitely needed in our hospitals and with parking, but also as a result of the increased population brought about by the proposed new build in our locality and surrounding areas, added Miss Cook, who lives off Astwood Road. Asked what she thinks the solution is, she said... It's too late for trying to expand the car park, including creating a multi-storey or underground parking, adding, I just don't know what the answer is. Perhaps make more use of six ways? Go there to park and get a bus back to the hospital? Mr Hopkins said, We continually explore ways in which we can increase our parking capacity as we're committed to improving our patients' experience when visiting any of our sites, whether this be the experience in the car park or the experience when receiving care from our staff. Okay, more travel problems now with city mum-to-be's train journey hell. A pregnant commuter has labelled the overcrowding on trains between Worcester and Birmingham as absolutely disgusting after she was crammed into a packed carriage and forced to stand. The Worcester mum-to-be, who did not agree to be named but is seven months pregnant, said she had nowhere to hold on to and nearly had someone fall into me three times as the the train stopped during her commute last week. She said another passenger was stood on crutches while a man sat in the special assistance seat and saw but ignored both of them. The conductor didn't even apologise or announce for anyone to give up their seat for anyone who needs it, which they sometimes do. Completely unacceptable, she said. She went on to say that she does the commute every day, and while that was the worst it's been, every night this week the train has arrived into the city 10 to 15 minutes late because it runs slow with no explanations. Another Worcester news reader said the additional carriages are not being implemented on the critical two-coach train at 3.15 from New Street to Hereford and the opposite service at 5.39. West Midlands Railway Head of Customer Experience Richard Brooks has moved to reassure train users action is being taken to address the delay in adding more carriages. 
Due to delays in receiving additional carriages, some trains serving Hereford and Worcester in recent months have been shorter than we would like, he said. We are taking action to address this and introduced additional capacity on the route last week, with more to follow in December. Referring to the pregnant woman's complaint, he said, we have designated priority seating areas for our customers who are less able to stand, but we rely on the cooperation of passengers to make those seats available to those who need them. Another spokesman for WMR said that a customer's claims that in some cases the new carriages are being used to replace older ones rather than being added alongside them is unlikely. I am told the existing trains on the route come in either two-carriage or three-carriage formations, he said. It is therefore possible that on a given day a two-carriage train could have an additional Class 153 carriage added onto it, making a three-carriage train, which may have prompted the comments. MP Robin Walker has said that WMR had done themselves no favours by not offering their commitment to specific services. A very short um little thing here from Dave Bradley who writes a regular column in the paper and I thought this was rather nice thank you costs you nothing my dad always used to say his words came to me this week in a somewhat minor way walking the dog one morning a couple of young lads were coming the other way off to school so I pulled the dog over to let them pass I say my dog as only one has been out walking this week Jack, our older dog, has torn his cruciate ligament and is confined to barracks. He is not happy. Thank you, the two boys said. The following day, the same thing happened. So I replied, good morning, lads. Have a good day. Every morning this week, we've had a small but enjoyable exchange of words. Not a major event in any of our lives, but youngsters these days, teenagers in particular, get a bad press. And I have to say, these young lads have not only restored my faith in human nature, but given me a slightly different perspective on young people. Isn't that nice? Mm. Right. The Malvern Autumn Show plans to make a major food bank donation each year after the success of this year's appeal. At this year's show, held at the end of September, about 65,000 visitors donated tonnes of food and toiletries worth thousands of pounds. The supplies have since been distributed to food banks in Worcester, Malvern Hills and Droitwich. Diana Walton, head of shows at Three Counties, said she was overwhelmed and added, We received so many donations on the first day that we had to move the food packages collected by food banks in the Trust's network to another building on site, so there was room for more donations on the Sunday. Initially, the idea was that we wanted to celebrate our silver anniversary by giving something back to our community, but visitors really bought into the idea and it's been so unexpectedly successful that we now feel it's something we want to do every year. Captain Joe Leach says opening batsman Hamish Rutherford will help give Worcestershire the consistency that they're looking for in red ball cricket when he returns to Blankfinch New Road in 2020. Rutherford had two short stints with the county in 2019 and topped the batting averages in the Specsaver County Championship as well as make an impact in the Royal London One Day Cup with two centuries. Very good they were too. Now, the New Zealander who plays for Otago during the domestic season back home is available for the whole of next summer in all formats of the game. 
Leach said he had a really good impact on the dressing room, as all of those overseas signings tend to do. To have that combative left-hander in that red ball format was stand us in very good stead. Every time he played, the tempo he played at, the way he looked out in the middle, was a good sign for us. He's a high-quality performer with an overseas batsman. It's nice to have them for the whole season, too. His record in white ball cricket as well speaks for itself. Leach added, We all know batters will go in and out of form over the course of a six-month period, but when you have them for that amount of time, you hope to get the peaks as well as the troughs. Sometimes, if you have guys for short stints and they're out of form, you can cop the raw end of the deal. Obviously, that works the other way as well, but it's nice of someone in Hamish who is going to give us that consistency. That's what we're after in Red Bull Cricket, so to have someone here for the whole time will give us that. And a little bit about Pat Brown. Pat Brown can look back with pride and satisfaction on his performances in England's T20 series against New Zealand. The Worcestershire Ace was part of a young squad chosen to face the Black Caps and played in the two warm-up games as well as the first four matches of the T20 series. The 21-year-old was entrusted by skipper Ian Owen Morgan with the final over of the New Zealand innings in Christchurch, which is a great responsibility, incidentally, and went for only eight runs. In contrast, he was given two overs in the initial power play in Nelson and conceded just nine. Brown was at the end of some powerful hitting at times, but showed his character in bouncing back with a tight over when next called upon to bowl. He twice dismissed the vastly experienced New Zealand batsman Ross Taylor. Brown, who did not play in the final game, ended with figures of 13 overs, no maidens, three wickets for 128, and an economy rate of 9.84. He will head straight to Abu Dhabi for more experience against some of the world's best white ball exponents in the T10 League from November 15th to 24th, before an eight-game stint in the Big Bash with the Melbourne Stars. And a cycling story for you. A British cyclocross champion from Poic will compete for European and world titles this month. Having won the veterans national title at the end of last winter's season and a silver medal at the European Mountain Bike Cross Country Championships in the Czech Republic in July, Chris Reggett is ready for more success. His eyes are now firmly on the World Championships in Belgium on November the 29th. It's the third season back in the saddle for Reggett since he came out of retirement. He came out of the retirement forced upon him in his 20s due to injury. He has been supported in his extensive training programme by 2006 Commonwealth Games cross-country cycling gold medalist Liam Killeen, who joins him twice a week. The steep climbs of the Malvern Hills and sandy soils of the Wire Forest have proved ideal training grounds for the challenging sport. Reggett said, When I came back from retirement, my fellow riders told me it would take three seasons to fulfil my full racing potential, and I think they may be right. I'm feeling better and fitter now than I have at any time since my comeback. I can't wait for the World Championships now. Reggett was the five-time consecutive winner of the British National Cyclocross Championships from 1978 until 1982. And we wish you well, Chris. Good. A Worcester-born New York-based athlete is taking the marathon world by storm. 
Rebecca Gentry's speedy improvement over the 26.2-mile distance has earned an invitation to the Olympic trials in Atlanta, USA, next year. Gentry, who studied at the former Alice Otley School in Worcester until 2003, has caught the eye this year in marathons in Hong Kong, Boston and her home city. The 33-year-old left England for the USA in June 2018 to join American exercise equipment and media company Peloton as a tread instructor, and she's built up a big following in the running world. Gentry was the first non-elite female to finish at the New York City Marathon earlier this month. She clocked 2 hours 37 minutes, 1 second, for a stunning 12-minute personal best to secure her Olympic trials invitation with the standard set at 2 hours 45 minutes. Gentry had done the Hong Kong race in 2 hours 53.39 and the Boston run in the USA in 2 hours 49.39. She also competed in the Speed Project relay run over 340 miles with five teammates. They won the event, which went from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, to add to a previous success from two years ago for Gentry, who will hope to increase her her race pace further. Lovely. Some hockey now, some local hockey. A mad five minutes, it says here, saw Worcester's men let slip a half-time lead in Saturday's 4-2 home defeat to Stratford. Jack Townsend opened a scoring with a good move down the right, but the visitors equalised shortly after. Captain Chris Watling then put put away a well-worked penalty corner to take Worcester into a half-time lead with only three quick-fire goals to turn the tide. Keeper Tom Dalton made a great save from a penalty flick and Worcester was unable to force another goal to tee up a grandstand finish. The women fared far better with a 7-1 demolition of Stratford at Nunnery Wood. Worcester opened the scoring from a great ball by Lindsay Bainan on the left that went through a crowd of players for Lucy Merritt to fire in. The host supplied plenty of pressure for the rest of the half with no joy but got a flurry of goals after the interval. A rebound from a penalty corner was finished off by Merritt before Saskia Ingham scored the third goal with Merritt then taking her haul to four. Emma Gardner and Julie Harwood rounded off the scoring. The men's seconds had a difficult time with a 7-0 defeat at Sutton Coalfield, but the thirds picked up their first point from a scrappy 2-2 draw with old Sil Hillians, courtesy of goals from Jack Barnes and Tom Lewis. The men's fourths dropped their first points of the season with a 3-3 draw away to Stratford, Arthur Quinn opening the scoring, followed by skipper Nat Garfield. The final equaliser came via Jake Glass. The women's seconds secured a 3-0 win against Bromsgrove with goals from Claire Hayes, Rachel Humphreys and Joe Baggs. In the junior section, the Potters lost 3-0 to a strong Bromsgrove side. The Pippins beat Evesham and Badsey 9-2 and the under-14 girls drew a friendly with Starport 2-2. The men's over-50s progressed to the next round of the England Hockey Tier 2 Cup with a hard-fought 2-1 win over Shrewsbury. Andrew Waters and Mark Carey's penalty corner decided matters. Weightlifting. Record-breaking weightlifter Myron Madden is set to represent Great Britain, Great Britain for the second time at next month's EWF European Youth Championships in Israel. The 17-year-old, who attends Royal Grammar School Worcester, continues to take the weightlifting scene by storm, extending his own British records at the British Midland Championships. 
After exceeding personal bests by lifting 117 kg in snatch and 140 kg in clean and jerk, sorry, that's 142 kg, Madden was selected to compete at the EWF European Youth Championships. Madden, who's part of Worcester Warriors Academy, said he was overwhelmed to be given another chance to compete for his country. The British Midland Championships was one of my toughest competitions to date, Madden said. Not only was there some stiff competition, but the timing and weights between lifts meant exceeding my personal bests was a big challenge. I'm overwhelmed to be representing my country again. I'm giving 110% to my training, so I'm aiming for a great result in Israel. Madden from Grafton Flyford made his international debut in March when he achieved ninth place in the IWF Youth World Weightlifting Championships. We wish him well. A netball update now. England's Commonwealth Games gold medal winning captain and a Malawi international complete the lineup for Seven Stars main squad for the upcoming Vitality Netball Super League season. Arma Agbezi, who led the team that inspired the nation when they defeated favourites Australia to win the 2018 Games, and Tawera Vinghumbo, who has eight years international experience, both joined Star's defensive lineup. Agbezi played for Super League side London Pulse last year, while Vinghumbo is set for her first season in England's top flight. And some football. The unplayable Liam Lockett provided assists for all three goals as Worcester City eventually wore down robust Dunkirk 3-1 to make the last 64 of the FA Vars. Luke English and Demetri Brown put Worcester 2 to the good, only for Tyrrell's Shannon Lewis to prod past Dan Joseph with a minute within a minute of the second. The frenetic tempo calmed down in the second half, with City gradually exerting more control and Lockett weaving his magic time and time again. The decider eventually arrived when another of the creative spark's unstoppable surges into the box ended with Craig Jones ramming the loose ball into the roof of the net three minutes from the end. City started brightly, but had Jezef to thank for one vital one-on-one save from Sasha Marilovic seven minutes in. Chris Withington had a strong penalty shout waved away before Sean Brain went close with a low drive across the goal that deflected wide via keeper Ryan Howe's stray boot. City pressure intensified with last-ditch blocks and some cynical fouls helping stretch to Dunkirk to cope. The breakthrough came in the 36th minute, with Lockett's outswinging corner nodded inside the far post by English. Lockett then raced into the corner and looked the other way to hoodwink his man to cut back into the right corner of the box for Brown to drive high across goal and into the net. Shannon Lewis was played through by Ellis Evans to pull one back, but City had much the better of the second half, staying in control despite a reshuffle prompted by English's hamstring tweak. Brain's drive across goal was nicked wide before Lockett's mesmeric run to the touchline ended with a sitter that was thumped wide by Brown, much to his colleague's annoyance. Frustrated Dunkirk tempers threatened to boil over, but they could not create the same head of steam going forward, and Jones applied the coup de grace late on. Lockett again waltzed in and decided to have a go himself, seeing his prodded finish nudged away from the goal by the skipper to rifle into the roof of the net. City scooped £900 in prize money and a home clash against United Counties League leaders Sheps Shed Dynamo in round three on the weekend of November the 30th. Thank you, Phil. 
That concludes the sports stories for the week. So we'll move on to the last few items and the first of those being birthdays. We have one birthday to celebrate in the coming week and that is Howard Jones on the 20th of November. Uh, Happy birthday to you, Howard, for the 20th. We wish you a very happy day. Sunrise and sunset times. Currently today it's sunrise at 7.27am And the sun set at 4.18pm. It's getting dark early and I hate it. But that's winter for you. Um, And we wrap up, I think, with the thought for the week, please, which, Phil, I think you're going to give us. I'm indeed. And it's from Exodus, chapter 15, verses 11 to 13. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Thank you. And apart from the obituaries, which, as I mentioned, will take will carry on after the music at the end of this. uh, It brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Catherine. Goodbye, Phil. Goodbye. And John, who is our engineer and waving from the other side of the glass. And thank you too to Carol Hartle, without whom this would not reach you. So many thanks to her for all her work. So it's a goodbye from all of us. Have a good week and um, until a month's time. Bye-bye. Alan Farmer sadly passed away on November the 30th, peacefully at home. Funeral to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 18th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only. Donations for St Richard's Hospice may be left in the donations box or sent to Worcester Funeral Service. All welcome. Richard Jones passed away peacefully on October the 26th, aged 68. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 15th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, with donations to the MND Association, sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. <coughs> Telephone number 01905 748 811. Marilyn Francis Knight, née Morris, wife of the late George, suddenly passed away on the 23rd of October, aged 88. Funeral service on Tuesday the 19th of November at Worcester Crematorium at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please, with donations for Midlands Air Ambulance. No black attire. Leslie George Underhill passed away peacefully in hospital on October the 23rd, aged 88. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 15th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Edna Brooks, née Haywood, passed away peacefully at Redhill Care Home on October 29th, aged 88.
Funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 18th at 2.30pm. Donations to Dementia UK may be left in the donation box provided or sent to AV Band 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR1 1UW. David Allen Jarvis, former engineer for Inductotherm, passed away on October the 30th, aged 64. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on November the 15th at 2.30pm. Donations, if desired, for the poppy appeal may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent directly to the charity. Enquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone 01905 22137. Margaret Gordon Nay Potter, known as Marge, passed away peacefully at Aberdeen Royal Infirmary on Thursday, November the 7th, 2019, aged 85 years. Inquiries to 01905 418106, if desired. Joan Mary Harrison passed away in hospital on October the 30th, 2019, aged 94 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 20th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium <clears throat> or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Gordon William Hawkes, Passed away suddenly but peacefully on October the 21st, 2019, aged 66 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, November the 19th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Cancer Research UK may be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811. Anne-Marie Tierney, known as Marie, sadly passed away on November the 2nd, 2019, aged 77 years. Funeral service at St Joseph's Church, Warnden, on Thursday, November the 21st, at 12.30pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations to the British Heart Foundation, Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, The Coach House, Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT, telephone 01905 748811. Peter Cornelius passed away peacefully on November the 6th, aged 70 years. The funeral service will be at Pershaw Abbey on Monday, November the 18th at 2pm, followed by private cremation. Family flowers only. Donations for RSPCA may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Roger Weston passed away suddenly at Worcester Royal Hospital on Sunday, October the 20th. His funeral took place on Thursday, November the 7th at Worcester Crematorium and was a private funeral as per his wishes. David John Courts passed away on October the 18th, aged 91. 
A service of thanksgiving for the life of David will take place at Holy Trinity, Licky, on Friday, November 29th at 11am. All family and friends are welcome. Judith Gent passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on Thursday, October 31st, aged 72. The funeral service will take place at Our Lady Queen of Peace on Thursday, November the 21st at 10am, followed by a committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, may be given to St. Richard's Hospice. Any inquiries, please contact the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS. Colin Anthony Hudsmith, sorry, Hudsmith, passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on November the 7th, aged 62. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 21st at 3.15. Floral, floral tributes welcome from family and friends. Donations for St. Richard's Hospice can be left in the donation box or sent to Jackson Family Funeral Directors, 54-56 Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR1 1JA. The family would like football shirts to be worn. Jemima Francis Wheatley, known as Minor, passed away peacefully at home on October the 29th. The funeral service will be at St. Wollstone's Church, Warnden, on Friday, November the 29th at 11am, followed by a private internment at Worcester Cemetery. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St. Wollstone's Church may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Mm-hmm. 